Do you ever find yourself falling into that trap, into that space where you want to know what other people are doing, how they stack up, and how you stack up against them? Uh, when Chad first reached out and asked me, he said, hey, would you jump in and preach for us in May? I said, sure. And then he sent me a message a couple weeks ago and said, hey, are you still good for two weeks? And I said, no, no, I said I was going to be in May. And I looked up and the entire month of April had just evaporated on me. It was just gone. And here I am uh, ready to preach. And for me, this has been a challenge because I, I kind of knew the idea around the sermon series. I knew what we were talking about. He'd sent me some notes early on. But the more we've walked through this series, the more uncomfortable it's been for me. Um, because I tend to always want to win. Um, you probably don't know that about me, um, but I always want to win. My poor wife, it's constantly, um, I'm asking, who wants to win? My kids, it's a game constantly. Who wants to win a special prize? And my kids will always respond, Dad, there is no special prize. And I'm like, no, no, you'll get laser bucks. You'll get dad points. You'll get something if you just compete. Because I always want to see how I stack up next to somebody else. I mean, I think we all do this in some way, shape, or form, where we compare ourselves to somebody else. But as we've been talking, we realize there is no win in comparison. There is no win in comparison. No matter what you're doing, you can't win. It's not a win-win situation. When we look at somebody else, we tend to either feel better about ourselves because their life's a mess, or we tend to feel worse for ourselves. Because as Chatty has already said, there's always somebody with a bigger-er. There's somebody who's richer, who's handsomer, who's better than you are. It doesn't matter what it is. There's always somebody out there who's got more than you. And there's always somebody out there who's less than you, who you're better than. You look at their life, you look at their kids, you look at them, and you're like, I, I, at least I'm not that person. And so we can kind of stack ourselves up against people, but the problem is, is we don't win in that situation, because even if you're winning at the moment, you're probably not going to get to hang on there for very long. You're going to get older until eventually you become the oldest. I remember the first time I walked onto a college campus, and I thought, when did they let junior high kids into college? When did that happen? Um, I actually remember I was in my early 30s, and I had a group of college students who were out visiting uh, this church that I was helping to serve at, and I said, you know, folks like us, and one of the boys went, uh, like, like, dude, you're in your 30s. It's not folks like us anymore. You are an old man. And here I am pushing up on 40, and I can feel older. I feel life moving around me. And it's easy because you look around, and you want to compare yourself to somebody else. Um, and it's so hard because that's not what God has called us to. In fact, God has called us to something bigger. As Chad talked about last week, our job isn't to compare ourselves to those around us, but instead we are invited to see ourselves how God sees us. Uh, we are invited to see ourselves how God sees us. We take our cue about the one who made you, who loves you, and who redeems you. That God chose you, and he is the one that we get to compare ourselves in light of. Not others around us, but who God made you to be. Scripture has all kinds of things to say about this. In the book of Proverbs, it says specifically, envy is rot to the bones. And that just seems so true, doesn't it? That when we look around and we try to compare ourselves to other people, we can feel that envy begin to get in. 
to get a hold of us. James, the brother of Jesus, and can you imagine that kind of pressure? Your brother's Jesus. He's not just good. He's, he's great. He's the one that everybody's following. James says this. He said, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Job even gets in on the same theme. He says this. He says, resentment kills a fool and envy slays the simple. That envy slays the simple. And so the challenge for us is how do we kind of handle this? What, how do we begin to get out of this trap, out of this mess that we kind of fall into over and over and over again? And, and, the, and there's something that's, that I think is going to be really powerful in what we're going to turn to. So if you've got your Bibles, you can flip open to Matthew chapter 25 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, if you don't, the words will be on the screen. You can kind of follow along with us. But in the book of Matthew, Jesus is telling these parables. And I think it's important that we talk about what a parable is up front. Because if you don't know what a parable is, it's easy to get to the end of this story in particular and be like, wait, what? What is it? So parable, it's, it's a made-up story. So Jesus isn't lying. He's telling a story that has a point. He's telling a story that has a point. And I think that's something that's important to catch. It's a point. It's not a bunch of points. Even if you've heard preachers take a parable apart and they lay all the pieces out on the table, it's really to tell a single truth. And this story is one that you may have heard before. If you grew up in the uh, church, you've, you can already see as you've opened up your Bible, it says the parable of the talents. If you didn't grow up in the church, if you've never been to church, this is even your first Sunday here, you've actually probably heard somebody reference this parable before. Um, it is one of those that informs a lot about our culture and a lot about how we understand things. Um, and so I want to jump in and kind of spend a little bit of time unpacking what Jesus says here. So one, Jesus is going to start off in the beginning here. Uh, he is telling a series of parables. And so you can see what he says here. He says, again, it. So that it that he's talking about there is the kingdom of God. And that's often what he talks about, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He is telling us what it is like for those who follow God. And so he says, again, it will be like a man who's going on a journey, who calls his servants together and entrusts his wealth to them. So this man is getting ready to go on a journey. He calls his servants together, and he's going to entrust his wealth to those around him. He's going to entrust his wealth to those who have served him. And it says, to one he gave five bags of gold. Now some of your translations are going to say five talents. Talent was simply a way to measure money. Um, talent's a measurement of money. Sometimes it could be silver, sometimes it could be gold, um, but a talent's a measurement of money. The NIV translates this as a bag of gold. That's a pretty accurate description. You can think of it as um, around, this is, this is a, it's a crazy amount of money. So you can think about it as around 20 years of average wages for somebody. That's how much a talent is. So he's not giving them just a little bit here. He's giving them a bag full of gold. So he says, uh, he gave one five bags of gold, and to another, he gave two bags of gold, and to another, one bag of gold, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. So each according to his ability. And this is what makes, I think, this parable so hard for me to listen to. Because we've each been given something according to our own ability, our own skills, our own resources, and when we read a parable, we want to find ourselves in the parable. 
And I naturally look at this story and I'm like, one talent, that's what I got. I can tell a story. That's about it. And so the challenge for me is seeing where I'm actually at in the story and where you're actually at for the story. Some of you, you think you're a five-talent person. You think you're a five-bag person. You're probably not. There's somebody better than you out there. So you, we're all probably squarely in that two-bag category, that we're two-baggers. There's people who look up to us, who think, man, if I only had the opportunities they had, if I only had the resources that they had, the family of origin that they had, the network that they had, I would be better off. And there's always somebody who's better than us. So we all kind of sit in that two-bag range. And he goes on, it says, um, so the man, he leaves on his journey, um, and it says, the one who received five bags of gold went once and put his money to work and gave five more bags of gold. The one who got two bags of gold goes out and puts the money to work, um, and it says, he gained two more bags of gold. In verse 18, it says, but the man who had received one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. You can already hear where this story's going. You don't have to be a genius to see what's going to happen. The audience that heard Jesus first tell this story would recognize, I can't do that. The rest of these guys went out and did something with it. You can't just bury it in the ground. But it's what he does. And the next it says, after a long time. After a long time. After a long time in, the, in a parable often means after a lifetime. And the master comes back uh, to settle, and he returns to settle accounts with them. And the man who received five bags of gold, it doesn't say it in the text, but I can't imagine how excited he was for the master to come back. I did a good job. I can't wait to show off. I can't wait to show what I've done. I can't wait to show what I've accomplished. And the master comes back, and he gets to lay out what he's done. He said, Master, uh, you entrusted me. Catch that. You entrusted me with five bags of gold and see that I've gained five more. He says, you entrusted me. Not you gave me, but you let me take care of your stuff. And here's what I did with it. Here's how I handled it. Here's how I approached that. And his master replied to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. I don't know about you, but for me, 20 years of average wages, 10 times, that's not a few things. That's a lot of things. That's a lot of money to be in charge of. That's a lot of money to have faithfulness over. But this master is saying there's even more for you because of this. And the one who, had, who was entrusted with two bags came and said, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold, and I have gained two more. And the master, uh, and the, uh, the master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And then it comes time for the one bagger. And he comes in front of the master. And he starts off, he says, Master, I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. He said, I knew you. 
And what he's really saying is this is your fault. It's your fault that I'm in this position. You only gave me a little bit. And I know how you are. I know the kind of person you are. You're a take-no-prisoners kind of person. You're somebody who doesn't leave anything extra in the margin. You're somebody who gets more than you put in, who gets more than their fair share. This is your fault that I did this. And that's the challenge for us. Because when we hear that same story, we, we still have that same approach that it's God's fault that we don't have more. He said, so I was afraid. And I went out and hid, in the, uh, uh, hid, I went and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. I didn't lose anything. I've got all that you gave me. You entrusted it to me, and here it is. I'm giving it back to you. Remember how the master responds here. You wicked, worthless, lazy servant. He was afraid, and so he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything immoral. He didn't do anything wrong. He just didn't do anything with what he'd been given. And that is what prompts the master's anger. That's what prompts the master's rage. And he said, you knew that I uh, harvest where I have not sown and gathered seed where I have not scattered it. You knew me, and you still did this. Well then, uh, you should have put your money on deposit with the banker, so it, when I returned, I would have at least received it back with some interest. And you can imagine the whole crowd's listening to Jesus at this point. It's like, that's what I'd have done. I mean, I'd at least just put it in there, gone out and bought some Bitcoin, done something with it. You're just holding it, not trying to do anything. You didn't do anything with what you've been given. So it goes on and says, and again, remember this is a parable. He says, take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. And there's a part of me that wants to jump in and be like, hey, listen, well, he's already got ten bags of gold. That's a lot. Why don't you give it to the guy who's got four bags? At least he gets five. You know, kind of even it out a little bit. Because fair isn't the point of the story. Fair isn't what Jesus is worried about here. It's not what we need to be worried about. But instead, how are we going to handle what we've been entrusted? And the master in this story says, uh, for those who have been given, more will be given, and they will have in abundance. And for those who do not have, even what they have will be taken away from him. And it says, then it was, throw the wicked or the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a hard thing to hear. You know, Jesus is preaching. He says, hey, listen, how you handle your money is important. If you don't handle it well, you're going to hell. Oh, that's not what he says. But it feels like it, doesn't it? He's cast out. He's pushed out of the family. Remember, it's a story. It's not necessarily the whole, the whole of the gospel. So this is one story illustrating one point. And what, the, what he's saying is that the, the one who has and does not use it, and does not use it well, it'll be taken away. You'll be cast out. You'll be put on the outside. And for me, this is the part that I've wrestled with as we've been preparing for this week. It's the part that I've struggled with knowing how to come to terms with. How do we handle this? How do we handle what it means to sit with what we've been given. Because we can look around and we can say, 
it's easy to look around and see others who've gotten so much. Others who have more resources than us, more opportunities than us, um, more, uh, more chances than we have, a better family of origin. You know, some of you are saying, if I just had a stable family growing up, things would be better for me. If I would have just had a more stable life, things would be better for me. If I had, if I had their network, then I could really do something. If I had their opportunities, then I could really do something. And it's easy to fall into that trap. I found myself falling into that trap this morning. I was, as I was getting things together, I was scrolling through Twitter because I can't help myself. I just can't. So I'm scrolling through Twitter, and I see this tweet from Elon Musk, and he said, you know, people make it sound like it's good luck, but really it's 16-hour days, day in and day out, and that's how you get here. And I want to respond. I want to be like, listen, uh, you had two wealthy parents growing up in South Africa. You had tons of opportunity. All of your family's successful. All your siblings are successful. You had resources to go to college. You went to college in other countries. You had resources that allowed you to go out and get funding and networking. I want to look at that and be like, listen, you didn't grow up where I grew up. You didn't have the hurdles that I had. You didn't miss the opportunities that I had growing up. You know, I grew up where I, the richest person I knew lived in a subdivision that had a pool. And I thought, can you imagine that? People, the whole neighborhood just have their own pool that nobody else gets to swim, just this neighborhood. And then you look around, you're like, you know, some people just have pools in their backyard, just their own pool that they don't even have to share with other people. Sometimes it's even in the ground. (laughs) And I can immediately see myself comparing and contrasting and wanting to poke holes in somebody else's story. But that's part of what's wrong with me. It's because I don't realize the opportunities that I've been given. The opportunities that God entrusted to just me. The opportunities that God entrusted to just you. We all have different skill sets. We've been given different talents. We've been given different amounts of time. We've been given different families. We've been given all kinds of differences. We've had different education experiences where we were able to go to school. Some of you went to school, and you learned phonics. And I bet it was awesome. I don't know what it was like, but I bet it was awesome for you to learn phonics. And some of you are like, you didn't learn phonics in school? I went to school in Kentucky, so it is what it is. <laughs> We've all been given these opportunities. We've all been given different resources. We've all been given these different experiences. And how we handle those is what matters. It's not a question of what you have. It's a question of what do you do with what you have? How are you faithful with what you have? How do you serve and love with what you have? What are you going to do with what God has entrusted to you? What are you going to do with what God has entrusted to you? I don't know what makes you unique. I don't know what story you have to tell that I wish I had. I don't know what story you have that nobody else has. But we all are different. And we've all been given our own race to run. Uh, There's this man, his name is John. His father was Peter Bernadone, who was a magnet in the Italian fashion industry. Kind of a self-made man. 
Um, so Peter, he, he took on his store, began to open up his own storefront. When he was a young man, it grew and it grew and it grew till he was kind of this powerhouse in the Italian fashion industry. And his son, the one who was set to inherit the business, was one of those, one of those guys, partying, kind of just living this lavish lifestyle, not really interested in the family business. Everything he kind of tried had kind of failed or fizzled. And something happened to him where God kind of got a hold of him and began to whisper into his ear and began to shape who he is. And his dad was kind of less than impressed. You know, the church is important. It's good to be a part of it. But let's not take this too far. And they begin to have friction over this in their life to the point at which they have this knockdown, drag-out fight in their house. And the dad said, you are so ungrateful. How dare you? Everything you have is because of me. Everything you have, your opportunities, your friends, your name, all of it is because of me. Your clothes, you're not wearing a single piece of clothing that you provided for for yourself. And John looked, you know, you're right. And he, he took off all of his clothes and left them there and walked out of the house. And he left the town of Assisi and became Francis of Assisi. His mom was French and people would call him Frenchy. And it was slowly morphed into Francis of Assisi. And Francis of Assisi is somebody that we all know their names. 900 years later, we've heard that name. Some people have said that he is the single most revered religious figure apart from those in the New Testament. That more people know his name and very few people remember his father. And his father really was this titan of business. But it wasn't what Francis was meant to do. It wasn't his race to run. And that's what you have been tasked with, is what are you going to do with what God has entrusted to you? Every time you spend your moments comparing yourself to somebody else, comparing your shortcomings to somebody else, wanting somebody else to fail. And that's the one that when Chad first brought it up, I was like, oh, I can feel that. That we all have that impulse, that we want to see somebody we don't like, somebody we're jealous of, fall short and fail and crash and burn. And I know that's true because TMZ exists. <laughs> and we all log in and we want to see the chaos of somebody else's life. But when we do that, we miss the race that God has set for us. And sometimes it's not this big, easy-to-paint to line, this easy-to-tell story. Sometimes it's a lot more subtle than this. Um, Joel Olstein, who's the pastor of one of the largest churches in the country down in Texas, he actually dropped out of college back in the 80s after his second year and went home to his church. His dad was the pastor at the church, and he went home and said, Dad, I don't need to go to college. What I want to do is I want to edit the videos. They had a big TV ministry back in the 80s, and people still used to actually pay to watch TV. Um, and he, would, he wanted to edit the videos that would go out on the television. And that's what he did for 17 years. As he just sat in the corner, sat in the back, cut videos, balanced sound, color corrected, 
helped to tell the story through video. And his dad went into the hospital one day, got really sick, and said, hey, Joel, you got to preach. Um, you got to jump in here and do that. And he said, ah, it's not for me. And his dad said, go and grab just one of my sermons. You can just preach it for me. Um, just kind of make it your own, and you can handle it. And he comes back to his dad. He actually tells this story. He says, you know, I don't really like any of your sermons. I don't know what, I don't really know what to do, but he does. You can actually go find the sermon out there. He still looks like Joel, so he's still got that Texas accent, um, but the sermon is, it's rocky. It's not smooth. It's not polished at all. It feels a little embarrassing. I actually kept looking down and hiding the video because I couldn't watch somebody mess it up that bad. And Joel's dad gets through this thing, struggles through. The church says, hey, it's great, because you know, they all love his dad. And so they say, you did a great job, even though it was kind of rocky, it was fine. The next week, his dad dies, has a heart attack and dies. And the church basically says, like, hey, I guess you could just do that. You could just be the preacher here. And he said he spent the next few years trying to be his dad trying to pe preach his dad's sermons. There are, there are anecdotes. I don't know if they're true or not. I tried to find the co co uh, corroboration, just couldn't, that he would actually wear his dad's shoes, you know, trying to embody who his dad is. And I don't know about you, but boy, I can feel that. He said it wasn't until he figured out that he was his own person and that he had to run his own race and he had to be who God made him to be that he finally found his voice as a preacher. And things began to change at the church. And I don't know what, whose race you're trying to run. I don't know if it's that person from high school that always just seemed a little bit better than you. I don't know if it's your dad. I know that's a story for many of us, that we look up to our parents. We maybe even had a great dad. And so we want to embody that. It may be a grandfather. It may be a mom that we want to try to emulate. It doesn't matter who it is but it's not your race. We've all been given a different skill set. We've all been given different opportunities. And what we do with what we've been entrusted is what matters most. What we do with what God has entrusted to you is what matters most. So I want to leave you with a couple of stories here, or, or a, couple of, a couple of questions to think through. So what makes you unique? Maybe this is something you need to ask those closest to you. What makes you unique? What makes you different from those around you? What opportunities and experiences do you have that you need to be faithful with? Another way to look at this too is, is who are you trying to be right now? Who is it that you're trying to be? Whose shoes are you trying to fill? Whose life are you trying to live? And the biggest question around that is, how are you going to change? How are you going to begin to run your own race? Because what you do with what's been entrusted to you is what matters most. And I think the part of this that makes me the most uncomfortable is that when we don't take advantage of the opportunities we've been given, we tend to respond the same way that the one bagger did, that it's God's fault. That it's God's fault that I don't have more. It's God's fault that my life isn't better. 
It's God's fault that work hasn't gone, my career hasn't gone better for me. It's God's fault that my kids are a mess. If God had just given me kids like those, I'd be doing great. But instead he gave me kids like these. And now my life is barely held together. That's the challenge. Because we, we want to blame God for what we've been given. Instead of to be faithful with those few things. So I want to close in prayer and I want to invite the band to come up as we, um, we're going to spend a little bit of time singing this song. What it means to build our life on who God's called us to be on who God has created us to be. And again, I don't know your story. I don't know what God has given you to run. I don't know what God has entrusted to you and you alone. But how you handle that is what matters most. Father God, we thank you so much that you are a God who loves us, who pursued us, who redeemed us, who called us to something so much bigger than ourselves. God, I pray that you would help us to be faithful in all the different arenas of life whether it's in our finances, whether it's in our work opportunities, whether it's in our family, whether it's in our spiritual life, that we would be faithful to the opportunities you've given us, that we would serve and love well. God, I don't need to go down in the history books like Francis, who people will remember my name 900 years from now. But God, I want to run the race that you have given me well that even with the little that I have, you're looking to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because ultimately, I give an account to you. We give an account to you, not to each other, not to the people we compare ourselves to, but to the one who made us and redeemed us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.